Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here we go again. Jesus offers another pithy line, a beautifully deep, a mesmerizing beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Mercy, it's a loaded word. The Greek here in Matthew, it's very specific, elemon. This refers to concrete acts of mercy. It's not this philosophical notion of having a merciful attitude or a bent towards mercy. I really like this distinction. Blessed are those who show mercy, who do the hard work of showing mercy. Not just those who have the capacity to forgive in their hearts. It's the ones who actually forgive in their hearts. See the difference? It's concrete. Blessed are those who do the hard work of letting things go, offering forgiveness, showing mercy. And think about who's hearing this. We say this every week, but this context matters. The people on the countryside listening to Jesus were an oppressed people group. The Roman army was, at times, cruel and tyrannical. Most of the time, they just left the Jews alone. But when it was time to show their power, they did. Just a few chapters earlier, Matthew 2, 22, it tells of Herod's son, and his name was Archelaus. And it says that he massacred hundreds of Jews. And do you know how he did it? Crucifixion. An absolutely cruel and inhumane form of torture. If you were crucified, you either died by suffocation or you were just left to die for exhaustion after being at hours of agonizing pain thrust up onto a cross. This was such a prevalent way of killing people. It was so normalized in the day that Israel even included in their laws that you weren't allowed to leave people on a cross overnight. You're going to have to take them down. I say all of this to say that please do not kid yourself. Rome was not merciful. And the Jewish leaders really weren't either. They didn't always crucify the people that they hated or the people that broke their laws. They also stoned people. They have laws in their Old Testament that show them how and why and when it is okay to pick up a rock and throw it at somebody until they die. Even in Jesus' day, it is not odd for someone to die by having stones thrown at them until they bleed to death. And we're going to talk about a story about that in just a minute. But blessed are the Jews who are merciful I think Jesus is calling into question the entire capital punishment system. And he's saying in God's new economy, in God's new realm that's coming to earth, we're not going to do it this way anymore. Showing mercy is what God's kingdom is going to look like. And showing mercy means letting people off the hook. It means granting clemency to those who are deemed unforgivable. Now, not too long after Jesus finishes this very moment on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 9, just a few chapters later, verse 13, we hear Jesus say this to a group of people. 
Go and learn the meaning of these words. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a fascinating line to me. Jesus wants us to learn the meaning and the practice of mercy. And it just may be a lifelong journey to discover it. Mercy isn't easy. It is complicated. And it is in no way fair. If you are someone who really thrives on fairness, then you hate the concept of mercy. And that's kind of the whole point. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It's being let off the hook. And it means letting off others off the hook too. It is the ultimate form of forgiveness. So for Jesus to say this, he is blessing those who have and have the desire to and the capacity for forgiving their oppressor, Rome. He's calling out Rome, too, for their inability to mirror back to the Jews the mercy of God. Jesus is showing that in God's kingdom, when it comes in its fullness, it will be built on mercy. Think about that. A few years ago, Pope Francis, who what I would argue is definitely the most known, if not the most important Christian alive today, he said this, God's name is mercy. I really like this. Not only does God forgive us through the saving acts and love of Jesus Christ, but every time God comes to us, either as Jesus or as nature or as a sweet memory that we hold or a song we hear on the radio, whatever that moment where we feel the Spirit's presence, that's God coming to us and showing mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, about the stoning story. It comes from the Gospel of John in chapter 8. We know this as the story of the woman caught in adultery. I actually preached this same text back in 2018. Assuming you don't have that text memorized, or remember that sermon. I want to read you how I opened from that text. This was a sermon from 2018. It still applies today. So here's what I said then. Everyone sins. If you think you don't, you're a liar. And lying is a sin. We all fall short. We all stumble. We all carry deep within ourselves secrets and vices that only we and God know about. Our sins are different from the person sitting next to us, but they keep us separated from God all the same. There's at least two ways to think about sin. There are sins of the flesh. These are what we commit in our minds or in our words or in our deeds. It's the sins that we embody. But there are also structural sins. These are systems of injustice that emerge within culture. We're less creators of them, but we knowingly, and most often unknowingly, play a role and have a relationship with them. In both cases, these sins distract and distort by keeping us separated from God. And we see both of these types of sins on full display in the story of the woman caught in adultery 
in John 8. There's so much here, so I want to jump into it together. This is John 8, starting in verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, talking about Jesus. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say? We'll stop here. I don't feel it necessary to go into much detail about what this means for the woman, but yes, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. This is exactly what you're thinking, and this is the sin of the flesh. It is an embodied sin emerging from the text. We know nothing else about this poor woman. It is obvious we are supposed to see her as the sinner. She's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. She must be stoned for her sinful ways. This is what the Pharisees want the crowd to see. But they're doing all of this, not to reprimand her or to seek justice across the board. They're doing it to trap Jesus, to get him into a moral quagmire, to showcase his inadequacies. They're using this poor woman as bait. And this is equally a sin, but it's a structural one. It's not embodied by one person, and it is not easy to see to the human eye, but it's right there in the text and right there in culture. What they are doing to this woman breaks all human right violations we have today. I mean, think about how sadistic this is. The Pharisees are willing to throw this woman's life away just to capture Jesus in a philosophical debate. They think so little of her. They don't even give her a name. We don't even get a backstory for who she is. She's just the woman caught in adultery. If that strikes you as awful, it should, because it is. And now there's this mob mentality forming in the town square, and it's all starting to brew. And the crowd arms itself with rocks to kill this woman. My heart breaks for this woman. She's drug out of the shadows, thrust into the middle of somebody else's war. She is shamed, humiliated, ridiculed, embarrassed, and alone, just so the temple rulers can trap someone that she's never met. And I think that moment breaks Jesus' heart too, because that's the moment he says this in verse 7. Let anyone among you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. With one sentence, time itself is changed for eternity. And we realize that sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. And we could all be stoned for the sins we have in our lives. And what you hear next, it's not words coming from the Pharisees or the people or the mob-like crowd, but it's the thumping of rocks hitting the ground as people walk away. And I love what happens next. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up. He said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. 
And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. So often we are the Pharisees of John chapter 8. We are the hypocrites. We are the participants in a systemic evil that we didn't create, but we gladly participate in. Other times, we're also the woman. By law, she very much deserved to die, but not to Jesus. Because as the late Baptist preacher once said, John Claypool, because in God's economy, the worst things are never the last things. And Jesus is the judge and jury of this new economy by God. And he chooses to live out the judicial system of this new realm with mercy, to show mercy. Because in God's economy, there's restoration and repentance that come after sin. Not death, not destruction, not crucifixion, not more killing. In God's economy, the worst things are never the last things. That's what I preached three years ago. I'm still proud of that sermon. I think it's still true today. The story of John 8 is the ultimate story of what mercy looks like. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That's what mercy is. Showing mercy means seeing everybody as a somebody and not treating specific people as if they're a nobody. It also means you're letting people off the hook, granting clemency to those who are deemed unforgivable. Now you might be thinking, and rightfully so, if I'm always the one who is supposed to show mercy, aren't people going to figure that out? Aren't they going to start taking advantage of me because they know that I'm going to let them off the hook? Yeah. And that's why the Beatitudes are a lifelong pursuit. It's not easy. People might take advantage of you. And that exposes the deep, systemic, embodied sins of the flesh that they also have. And they're going to have a long way to go to understand the depth of God's forgiveness for them. Mercy is not easy. And it is not fair. And remember, not too long after Jesus finishes with this scene on the Sermon on the Mount, he says to a group of people, go and learn the meaning of these words. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When it comes to mercy, there's always more for us to learn. There's always more for us to give and forgive. More to contemplate on why God shows mercy to us in the first place. But remember, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy.